you know, cool. Driver! And welcome to the Interstate Wrestling Podcast, the wrestling fan podcast that is bringing you on a journey of fandom, enthusiasm, exploration, deep dives, and total nerdism into the world of wrestling. I'm your co-host, James. And I'm Josh Mordecai. Excited to bring you kind of a different episode tonight, kind of a deep dive into one specific, exciting, weird uh, aspect of professional wrestling. I am intentionally slightly in the dark on this episode aren't i Mm -hmm. and uh, as we teased uh, on the socials you have been buried down some rabbit hole for several weeks now for this uh, for this episode haven't you (laughs) i'm excited i'm uh, anxious to see what is about to happen but this is going to be a slightly different iswp isn't it it is, yeah. Put my history degree to use. Being a uh, grappling John Gaddis today, yeah, stretching <laughs> those history legs. I mean, completely spurred by. I've just visions of you spinning in circles, looking at Ric Flair and Abraham Lincoln memorabilia, and yeah, you know, this whirlwind is what has generated all of this, this. pathetic perpetual mo- motion machine in that museum. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is going to be a fun one. Before we uh, dive down that rabbit hole and get into what we're calling the wallop, right? Yeah, yeah, we are. We should just touch back on Double or Nothing from the last episode because, of course, since we last spoke, since we last recorded, Double or Nothing happened. And I got to say, Josh, mm-hmm. I stand corrected. I was a little bit of a naysayer. I was playing the heel a little bit going into the card. Double or Nothing delivered and then some, didn't it? For sure. Super, super fun show. Yeah. One of the things that really stood out for me the minute the show started was the crowd pop. Mm -hmm. That opening match when Hangman came out and Brian Cage came out, and it was just amazing. The hair on the back of your neck, the goosebumps, what a feeling. Fans back. It was amazing to see, wasn't it? Yeah, and reminded we talked about a a little bit in the Mania episode, but reminded you what a difference it is when that crowd is there and that crowd being especially hot because it was the first full-capacity show. Yeah, just from the very start and they they were there for it weren't they for most of the broadcast i think mm-hmm. the only lull i felt and i know we were sort of texting and chatting back and forth about it as it happened mm-hmm. the only lull that really fell short a little bit on the card was the cody match and the crowd got out of that a little bit it got a little bit dead air didn't it yeah and i think i texted you like this is for sure the cooldown match which is unfortunate with the build they gave it this kind of they tried to really like put a story into it and then just it was not up to the rest of the show, I guess. Yeah. Any thoughts on how it could have landed differently? Like, I mean, like you say, there was a good effort at build. They did that whole way in that we sort of figured would happen. They did that on Dynamite. I mean, yeah, all of the recipe was there, wasn't it, really? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it was just kind of surrounded by some matches that were better than expected. I don't know if just a different spot on the card would have done anything or if that would have detracted from those great matches. I don't really know if there's anything that they could have done to make that more palatable. We talked quite a bit 
on our Double or Nothing episode about the Stadium Stampede. How did Stadium Stampede 2.0 look for you? It was fun. I, I, it didn't have quite the impact of the first one. Uh, we kind of talked about that too, I think, right? Like we kind of knew it was coming. I did kind of enjoy kind of some of the nods to the other stuff that was going on. We got that second golf cart spot that was fun with Sammy behind the wheel again. Right. I love that they finished it in front of the crowd, kind of answering that question we had of how do you do your cinematic match while at the same time being in front of a like, uh, live crowd. You show 90% of it on the Jumbotron and then you finish it live. So I thought that was kind of a cool way to kind of mesh those. How about you? Yeah, uh, exactly same feelings. I thought it was a ton of fun. Again, just by virtue of being the second time we've seen something like it, it didn't quite have the same jaw drop, jaw drop pop. Mm-hmm. But it was tons of fun. They seem to be more segments this time versus sort of interplay with all 10 members, which I thought the first one did a little better. Yeah. There was lots of like Sean Spears and Sammy and then the two horses going at it with Wardlow and Jake Hager. Like there was, there seemed to be sort of very specific spots. Mm-hmm. I did, I did enjoy the stuff with MJF and Jericho when he was being sort of thrown around the conference room and there was the two Jags personnel. Yeah. The coaches, that was, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. That weird shot of Tully with uh, FTR is hilarious. That got memed to Helen back, right? <laughs> and and Conan showing up in the uh, in that, which is a great pull. Yeah, I thought it was tons of fun. Britt Baker inevitably yeah. winning the women's championship, right outcome. We knew that was coming. Yeah, and she looked great in that match, and she'd have looked great and looked protected as well to drop the yeah. belt. I thought that was a phenomenal match. Yeah, for sure, definitely a convincing way to kind of turn her into this women's heel champion and the crowd behind it who is I, I feel like it got a good response in the moment too so yeah i think that was well done nice little uh touch of humanity at the end as well with shivani coming over and yeah. sort of hugging and the display of the real relationship not just the characters there yeah you know because she's been portraying him as one of her best friends but there really is some sort of you can see the really some sort of genuine relationship there, right? Yeah. And that was a nice touch at the end. And I just love Tony Schiavone, just in general. <laughs> yeah, he's just always been great. Going back to the Stadium Stampede match, when MJF goes through that play class in the door, and uh, Schiavone goes, well, I hope he's bleeding when he gets up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just great. Just great. Some awesome stuff. I will say, I think my favorite match of the night was the Bucks and Mox and Kingston. Yeah, yeah. For all that it was, I thought the books looked strong in that as well, because really it was a street fight, wasn't it? It was just thuggish. Yeah. I enjoyed the spots with Brandon Cutler being thrown around. But the books for all of their high-flying acrobatics, aeronautics, flip-flying, high-flying style, took it to Mox and Kingston as well. Mm-hmm. It had all the right ingredients that. I'm splitting hairs a little bit because the show was just so solid, but that was my favorite, I think, for the night. Yeah, and just from the jump, them coming out. So going back to that thing we talked about, Mox going and like throwing the chairs and losing his mind, and Kingston just kind of like laughing about it, like, <laughs> oh, they're in trouble kind of reaction. Like, it's just such a great relationship between those two. It's so much fun to watch. Yeah, I guess he's gone on some leave, hasn't he, Mox, for some upcoming paternity leave, but... I hope when he eventually makes his way back in the next few weeks or a couple of months or whatever the timeline ends up being, they don't lose sight of the magic that they've got between Kingston and Mox. They should be some real contenders for taking the belts off the books, maybe down the road at like the next full gear or the next revolution or something like that. Yeah, or at least in each other's corner. Like that's a white hat 
pairing. They're so great together. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But um, yeah, again, I will stand corrected. <laughs> I was a little bit of a doomsayer, a little bit of a naysayer, and was like, oh, you know, of course I was looking forward to it. I was, uh, this is me trying to save face now, isn't it? I was playing the heel a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I enjoyed the hell out of the show. I'm okay with being wrong about a wrestling show not being fun. Right. Like... <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm okay with it being good, right? <laughs> Please don't pay me compliments anymore. Yeah, fair point. So with that said, we, uh, we're we keeping the uh, Double or Nothing look back intentionally brief, aren't we? Because mm-hmm. we do indeed have, as we said a moment ago, the wallop. Yeah. And I am psyched for this. I have no idea really what's going on. Why don't we... Uh, hit the interstate why don't we hit the historical interstate no less and get into the wallop hell yeah let's do it I am going to sit here ringside and let you set the stage and call it in the ring. Hit me with the wallop. All right. So a couple things to start. First of all, um, we've already said a couple times, calling this episode the wallop. If you're not aware of the other podcast, not on the Lunch Door Network, but there's a show called The Dollop, Dave Anthony and Gareth Reynolds. Dave Anthony comes with a story from American history explains it to Gareth in real time. So we're kind of doing that tonight. Uh, I'm bringing kind of three main signposts of a wrestling story for James tonight. And I want to just kind of take a, somebody out there will enjoy this reference to just a Marcus Parks moment and uh, mention our main references, our main citations for tonight. So great YouTube channel called Grapple Vision. I will say just to, to shout out the dollop in sort of preparing for this, that was about that's about the extent of the markers you gave me, wasn't it? Is to check this show out, which yeah. folks should definitely check this out because some of the stories that this these two guys, one guy is telling the other guy in real time, are wild. I was listening to one that was some seventeenth, eighteenth century sort of backwater, you know, <laughs> mob surgeon. Mm-hmm. Before the days of anesthesia, my wife was wondering what the hell I was listening to in the car. But uh, yeah. that was about the context of what I got to to set up for this, wasn't it? So This might also be a what the hell are you listening to episode. <laughs> <laughs> so Grapple Vision, she does a great job with this particular topic. One section, Cultaholic did a great video about one specific thing we're talking to, about tonight. There's a great America's Most Wanted segment about something we're talking about tonight as well as various um forum posts and uh articles about it at the time written like the early 2000s as well as um on my last page the official united states department of justice website jesus what are we getting into oh my goodness (laughs) so this is for real the first time i'm showing james my notes for the show tonight wow so here's a little bit what we got going, and then we got a little bit there. The rumors of your disappearance <laughs> and uh, loss of location, I thought, were just grossly over-exaggerated. People have said <laughs> that you've been missing in action for weeks and weeks on end. Josh <laughs> has just held up a notebook with just pages and pages and pages of, of summary here. Just the scribblings of a madman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I should be at the bottom of a staircase yelling, detective, <laughs> with this notebook I have here. All right, so here we go. James, I'm going to welcome you to three stories from XPW, Extreme Pro Wrestling. Okay. Explain to me who XPW are there and where they're from in the in the country and stuff. So XPW, uh, the story of XPW starts as all great stories do in the beautiful, scenic, picturesque city of Rochester, New York. <laughs> That's right. It's a hometown story to start. Okay. Okay. Keep it local. I like it. <laughs> Momentarily. So Rob Zakari, born in 1974 in Rochester, New York. His professional name is Rob Black. He's born into a family heavily involved in the adult film industry, which will be important throughout this story. We've talked porn stars on this show before, but yeah. we were PAWN at that <laughs> point, and you're talking the full-blown adult industry here, yeah? I am indeed, yeah. Okay. His father owns an adults-only store in Rochester. Did not find which one. We don't have a ton, so it's like one of maybe two. Not super well versed in that universe. Um, he says honestly and earnestly. Yeah. <laughs> um, his uncle, according to IMDb, is involved in the industry. His cousin's involved in the industry. He owns a company called Extreme Associates. Extreme is no joke in what he makes. There's an interview with him referenced in uh, the Wikipedia entry for him where he says, You should enter your experiences with Extreme Associates more as a slasher flick than as a an adult film okay yeah so so like almost like gore i guess yeah things that are are not great is what i'll say when when we get to the end the closing of xpw has some relation to the types of things they did okay okay yeah so we'll we'll get there Eventually. <laughs> Not in super, super detail. Again, only read summaries of, of what we're going to talk about towards the end. But he decides he's going to open up his own wrestling company. So he opens up XPW in 1999. So the extreme, the X part of this is derivative from, from family business. There's some correlation here. Yes, but they're also like a hardcore company, like wrestling, hardcore wrestling company. <laughs> <laughs> An important distinction tonight. <laughs> I, I do feel like clarifications will be necessary, yeah. yeah. And <laughs> they're like using light tubes and barbed wire boards, kind of that early deathmatch in the US type of thing, right? A little bit more extreme than ECW, integrating kind of the more adult aspects of his other company as well. So he, Rob Black, kind of reaches out to Paul Heyman from ECW at some point and says, what if ECW is the East Coast contingent and XPW can kind of be the West Coast kind of satellite of ECW? Okay. We're in LA, you're in Philly, we can kind of work together. So a franchisee of sorts. Yeah, more or less. And we can share talent. We'll send Messiah and Supreme. You send RVD and Sabu. Like, we'll kind of run this together. And Heyman is open to it right and xpw is already kind of padding their roster with former ecw guys so there's some kind of relationship there potentially to start then Hammond starts fielding tv deals he realizes maybe being partnered with extreme associates won't go over super well with the nashville network <laughs> so, right so he, he kind of calls off this partnership 
And that's the beginning of the deterioration of the relationship between XPW and ECW. That doesn't sound like that was even so much the mighty dollar talking. This was just kind of tone and context and connections to business is what deterred that, yeah? Yeah, this is Heyman as a businessman saying, this is not a good partnership for me to be on mainstream media. Right, this is not an association I want visibly publicly out there. Right, and with, I think to some extent with them being the kind of more extreme end, like we're okay with thumbtacks and some barbed wire, but some of the XPW content is going to be a little bit much for TV executives. Okay. Right? So that relationship collapses. Around the same time, Rob Black is trying to get more ECW guys, former ECW guys. Sabu has walked out of ECW, still under contract, Heyman says. So here's the other thing with all this. Because this is wrestling, everything I'm telling you tonight, there's like a Rob Black version, and there's an everyone else version. (laughs) (laughs) And what I've learned about Rob Black in my bit of research about him is he's also very much a any publicity is good publicity type. So who even knows what is the true story here? Right, right. Okay. Yeah. So bear that in mind with everything else we talk about when we talk about him uh, jumping in. Noted. So Heyman says... Sabu's still under ECW contract, cannot work for XPW. And there's this like kind of back and forth. During the same time, Heyman starts a cease and desist against XPW. You might notice that a lot of hardcore wrestling promotions have abbreviations that you can chant in a similar way to ECW. You got XPW, so XPW, XPW. You got CZW, CZW. Today... You got GC Dub, GC Dub. Yeah. Not lost on Heyman. Cease and desist. You have the name Extreme. Confusion in the marketplace. Sues XPW. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That sounds legitimate on the surface. As you were starting to sort of compare the chance, I was like, ah, but with the dub on the end, the Extreme up front. Yeah. Okay. I can kind of see his argument, I suppose. Maybe. Right. And knowing that Rob Black wants his business partnership, it's not like he created this in a vacuum. Right? Sure. He's aware of ECW, at least. He would be hard to argue that he's not assimilated the source material, right? Right. Yeah. Like, he knows. This is somebody in 1981 putting out Space Wars. Right? (laughs) Like, he knows. Yeah. His response, Rob Black's response is, lots of companies have extreme in their name. Paul Heyman just has hurt feelings. He's just upset with how good our product is. Is kind of the response. That's a good comeback. <laughs> it doesn't sound very solid. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, he's he's full of them, let me tell you. <laughs> one week, one week after the cease and desist, Sabu eats a pinfall at an XPW show in a triple threat with Chris Candido and Shane Douglas. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And Heyman says, what the fuck? We just went over this. He's under ECW contract. And Rob Black says, I didn't pay him for that. He didn't work that show. He was on the show, but he didn't work that show. Just so happens he was volunteering his time? He was just right place, right time to <laughs> work that show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on top of everything else, losing that under contract with Heyman. So this relationship is completely trashed at this point. Originally, maybe partners. Now, there's no way. It seems like... 
from everything I've seen. This is, I think we mentioned it in another show. It seems like a feud, but only really from one side. XPW is really drilling this more than ECW is. To your point that you mentioned a moment ago, I assume if Rob Black's a bit of an antagonist, a bit of a provocateur, any publicity is good publicity. There's no such thing as bad publicity, that sort of idea. Being antagonistic can only serve him in his mind, right? For sure. And he is on TV cutting promos about it. So he's talking about it. It's out there. And we're just touching on like the three big stories of XPW. There's stuff that I'm not even talking about, like the the episode where he had a stroke. Like, that's an XPW angle that we're not touching on tonight. Wow. As, <laughs> as a work? Had a, had a stroke as a work, yeah? Yeah. The YouTube thumbnail is him doing a very... Him in a wheelchair and a thumbnail that would not fly in 2021. Okay. Yeah. We're avoiding that story tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what we're talking about with XPW and Rob Black. So as time goes, XPW actually starts to make a name for themselves kind of on the West Coast. And Heyman wants to expand. So he has this very, you know, let me put my my historian uh, gimmick on for a second. This Horace Greeley, Frederick Jackson Turner thing of the only place to go is West. There's somebody who's all about the frontier thesis who's very excited right now. <laughs> the gold rush. <laughs> um, so Hammond starts to go west because he's already on the East Coast. And they start working in Ohio and Missouri. And eventually, there's only one last place you can land in the contiguous 48 when you're going west. Heyman and ECW end up in California. California. Which is, as you may recall, the backyard of XPW. Straight into their sandbox. Yeah. they uh, XPW, like PWG, starts in Reseda, ends up in LA. ECW, their heatwave pay-per-view, also in LA. So this antagonism is being reciprocated at this point. Yeah, it's a little bit more passive-aggressive on Paulie's front, but they know this isn't going to go over well. Mm-hmm. Right? And Rob Black does, honestly, what Heyman would do in the same situation. He buys six front row seats for his wrestlers, uh, including Messiah, who's one of the top names, Supreme, who's one of the top names, one of their women's wrestlers, and one of their top like production guys. Put them in the front. And then front of the balcony, they buy seats for the ring crew. And they tell them, bring in signs, wear your t-shirts, get the name on TV. They're going to try to essentially do like a a shoot invasion angle, right? They're not doing kind of the made up one. They're going to actually go in and cause a scene and get their name out there. Word leaks in ECW. This is going to happen. Jasmine St. Clair, who is dating and was married to the blue meanie knows Rob Black from her other career as an adult film actress. And she says, I can help identify some of these people. So as they come in, they're being kind of tipped off to security. Okay. Right? So ECW has the leg up on XPW at that point. Signs are confiscated. Some get through. Uh, shirts are turned inside out. So the crew in the balcony doesn't get much exposure. Mm-hmm. In the front row, because this whole thing is a comedy, they're sitting on the same side as the hard cam. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what a smart idea. So all you see the whole show 
is the back of their heads. Is the back of their heads, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. And you don't really see the front row hard cam side because the four rows behind them are also standing up. So not really on camera. I mean, that in of itself is pretty blunderful, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> they didn't know which way the camera would be pointing. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just the perfect way for the story to go. <laughs> that they're not even in the right spot to ruin this ECW show. And Rob Black bought 12, 15 tickets. Like, this man spent some money on this show. <laughs> and it just ended up supporting his competition. <laughs> so the show goes off pretty much without anything happening. Next to last match... Rhino versus Sandman. Rhino takes a beer, dumps on himself, chucks it in the crowd, sprays the front row. XPW takes it as a provocation. Rhino no-sells it, walks to the back. Whatever. Main event. Tommy Dreamer, just incredible. Which, great match, right? That's going to be fun. Yeah. They're nose-to-nose, doing their thing before the match. The ref kind of starts to look around him, notices something in the front row. Dreamer notices... The XPW guys are up to something. According to Messiah, one of the XPW wrestlers, he said, and the exact quote is something like, we realized Rob is going to be fucking pissed. He spent all this money, no exposure. They figure, last match, now or never, what's going to happen? They're going to kick us out? Main event, who cares? Oh, they're going to run in, aren't they? They're going to jump the barricades. So close. So close. (laughs) They start to turn their shirts back inside out Mm -hmm. right so they're gonna try to get on cam in their xpw shirts stopped still with their back to the camera incidentally right yeah so (laughs) (laughs) a a major flaw in the plan (laughs) (laughs) so they start to change back into their shirts uh supreme ends up just like in a tank top the ecw producers do a great job of not really getting it on camera and this is another great example of the xpw story versus ecw story Mm-hmm. The XPW story is that Francine came out, she started to run her mouth, she shoved somebody, things blew up. The ECW story is XPW started to get rowdy, security stepped in, something happened, and a minor brawl broke out in the crowd. Whatever. The XPW faction in the front row is let out of the building. They're escorted out by Atlas Security. Messiah claims the entire way... Paul Heyman is slapping him in the head the entire way <laughs> and cursing at him, which again, this is totally a Paul Heyman move, right? Buy these front row tickets to try to disrupt the show. Mm-hmm. They get outside to quote one of my favorite recent SNL bits. There's a fist fight in the parking lot. It's a great <laughs> sketch. Look it up <laughs> again. Danny Doring in a shoot interview says it's a massacre. ECW kicks the shit out of xpw oh yeah yeah he says big sal from the fbi is out there roadkill's out there Heyman's out there new jack is out there who it's a miracle somebody wasn't killed out there you've talked before about new jack being just a tough bastard oh yeah his dark side of the ring it's either the dark side of the ring episode or beyond the mat i think it's beyond the mat where he shows his fist and he's missing knuckles the scene where he shows his hand is like yeah i don't got knuckles here it's because I punched a bitch in the face. Like, the man was a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and he's involved in this fight. Dear me. Yeah. Doring says ECW wins. 
Rob Black says that it was just the crew of XPW that ECW didn't really deal with the wrestlers. Who knows? Again, in a parking lot, no cameras. Of course, both sides are going to claim that they came out on top. Yeah, you can't lose um, bragging rights in a situation like that, can you? You're going to lose face and then some, aren't you, in a situation like that? Yeah, and a really easy way to make the each side to make the other side look like the the weaker side in that fight. Right. Right, like these six XPW guys couldn't stand up to four of ours, or these four wrestlers beat up these six refs. Still hearing you sort of the context of this, that this publicity again, however that plays out, still in in Black's mind is really going to, there's no harm done in any direction here, is there? Yeah. I mean, and there was some following in LA. People are kind of chanting for the guys anyway in the crowd. But now there's kind of the buzz on message boards of like, oh, wait, this was real, right? And kind of getting more eyes into XPW. Right. I guess his theory paid off by the sounds of it so far. To some extent. Yeah. Yeah. The XPW still, they had some TV, but they didn't really get massive. And we'll talk about some of the things that got in their way. The story of why they finally closed down being the big one. Mm -hmm. But XPW was, as far as people who watched hardcore wrestling in like the early 2000s, XPW was a known entity. Like they're not this weird, like exclusive tape trader thing. Yeah. Okay. Right. So after that show, Rob Black releases a press release saying, you know that ECW is suing us. After this assault, it's only right that we sue them in return. So now there's dueling legal battles. What is the biblical saying? A lawsuit for a lawsuit? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the point. Yeah. Nothing comes about a lawsuit because, you know, Carney's going to Carney. <laughs> and he sounds like he's already on shaky ground anyway, so. Yeah, but. The great thing, and this is the last little piece of this segment of the XPW story, he has this kind of Nikita Khrushchev moment, banging his shoe against the desk. He says, ECW is going to die, and you know who's going to be there at the burial? XPW. We're going to outlast ECW. I am not the historian that you are, sir, but I know that's not true. Prepare for the unexpected, my friend. (laughs) ECW folds two years before <gasps> XPW does, Rob Black was right. Fucking A. <laughs> God damn. Yeah. I was so confident in that assertion as well. Wow. Yeah, ECW goes bankrupt two years before Rob Black is forced to sell off, completely shut down XPW for a bit. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You know, to stick with your uh, historical analogy of sort of the westward travel... I'm envisaging Black being sort of this, you know, traveling medicine, marvelous medicine show, <laughs> selling, you know, elixirs and potions yeah. from the back of his truck. That would be sort of his, you know, 16th, 17th century version of him. He seems to have had some sort of elixir. That's wild that they outlasted ECW. It's really incredible, right? Like, don't have nearly the exposure they do, but still somehow outlast them. Wow. Yeah. I wonder what Paul Heyman says about that today. I don't know if he even talks about it. <laughs> <laughs> It's that madman bit where Don gets in the elevator and the guy goes, I feel really sorry for you. And Don Draper goes, I don't think about you at all. <laughs> that's that's, Rob, or that's uh, Rob Black to Paul Heyman right now. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Wow. That's wild. Yeah. yeah. 
So like I said, we'd have like three signposts for the XPW story tonight. That's our XPW ECW invasion segment. That's a hell of a first segment. So a show promotion rather born from rather sordid beginnings yeah that goes on to try and take down ecw makes a complete clusterfuck of it Mm -hmm. and ultimately achieves in what they set out to do in a way (laughs) (laughs) in a manner of speaking yeah yeah yeah. that's brilliant one of those two is currently employed by the wwe (laughs) (laughs) yeah so in the context of marathon and sprints right yeah (laughs) that's wild that's excellent yeah so this is why I was so excited to do the, to do XPW as our first wallop is because that's just one of three people who know XPW probably know what the next one is mm-hmm. because it is kind of infamous, but it's just such a wild, weird time in pro wrestling. Right. And not to ignore what you said a couple times already, you have selected three stories tonight, but there was plenty left alone on the XPW front. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I'm not going to claim like an I'm an XPW expert, like I said in a previous episode. Like, there are definitely gaps in what I know. But, yeah, XPW is kind of this, like, weird anomaly of... Actually, the uh, one of the guys who was at that Invasion show later was involved in Wrestling Society X. Okay. Which was the wrestling show on MTV for a while. Yeah. That was just... I don't even know how to describe Wrestling Society X. It was an odd product, wasn't it? I only ever saw bits and clips of it, but it didn't It didn't look and smell like wrestling, did it? No, and they'd have like a band perform, like Voodoo Glow Skulls were the musical guest one night, and then they also had the singer on his commentary. Right. The musicians weren't always wrestling fans. It was just a bizarre product and kind of has a, it's like the stepbrother to XPW. Yeah, okay. So this is like not a, a like a self-contained weird LA thing. This kind of reaches out a little bit, right? Harking back to when we uh, we did sort of the the episode a couple back, the territories, the choice, that sort of thing. You've got these these weird outliers, these pockets of strange wrestling, right? I don't know. Strange is the is an unfair word to use, but strange wrestling, right? Strange tone, strange delivery, strange presentation of the products. Yeah, and Wrestling Society X, I feel, was like a, a less refined Lucha Underground. Okay. Right, you kind of get the bones of it there, but kind of a more kind of early aughts X game audience type of thing to it. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant for a segment. Consider me suitably slapped with a wet fish as far as the wallet goes. <laughs> what other plunder have you got, Mordecai? All right. <laughs> So this is the one, if you if you know an XPW story at all, you're excited for us to get into this. This is the story of the Messiah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I know nothing about XPW. I, I You've mentioned them by name briefly. I know nothing about these guys, I have to say. So this is like, if you wanted, if you wanted the boys to do some true crime, this is as close as we're getting so far. <laughs> There's ample room for it in the world of pro wrestling, but this is the closest we're getting so far. Some criminal minds, some unsolved mysteries, yeah. America's most wanted. Yeah. We're going to bust out William Shatner guest appearance in a second, <laughs> aren't we? There's, yeah, just, there's, there's some slight dismemberment coming up, so just be prepared. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so Messiah is one of the top names in XPW. Mm-hmm. Considered like one of the early innovators of deathmatch wrestling and i encourage you to go watch the america's most wanted segment on this it's hilarious it's kind of demeaning to wrestling there's some moments where they're like 
but this trained fighter couldn't hold him off for long type of like wink wink nudge nudge pro wrestling's fake type of moments <laughs> but it's it's a good like seven minute segment so the messiah is like one of the top names there's a falling out at some point with rob black and messiah cuts a promo and in the promo he suggests that he's had an affair with rob black's wife oh yeah who's an adult film actress named Lizzie Borden. Wow. <laughs> There's your Massachusetts connection. I was going to say that's a <laughs> slightly horrific <laughs> stage name. Yeah. That's got some um, awful relevance. Yeah. And now the enter these as slasher flicks thing makes a little more sense. Mm-hmm. There are varied opinions on how accurate this promo was. Some say... It's for heat. Some say it's for real. Accuracy in workers' shoe, accuracy in content. Like, I mean, it sounds like there was an actual affair going on is what you're sort of alluding to here. That's kind of, this could be a part of the show that's heavy on the allegedly. (laughs) (laughs) Let's uh, put that disclaimer loud and proud in here. Yeah. Allegedly throughout the whole segment. Got it. (laughs) We are not taking a stance one way or the other on anything I'm about to say. There are some who believe that this is a promo that was rooted in fact. Okay. We're not taking a hard stance on either way there. Fair enough. But Rob Black is not happy about the promo. So according to Messiah in this America's Most Wanted section or uh, segment, he's at home one night playing video games. Two guys come into his apartment. He guesses they're probably here for my roommate. He says, cool, just hang out for a little bit. No problem. Keep playing games. So just two random unknowns enter his property, sit down, hang out. They're looking for somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. He thinks. He just assumes like, oh, these are just guys that my roommate knows that I don't. Okay. Like, they can hang out for a little bit. Oh, he's a little blase at this point. He's being a little naive by the sounds, yeah. Yeah. I think naive is a good word. Yeah. Okay. Allegedly naive. I think he would say he was naive here. I think this is one of (laughs) (laughs) the markers do seem to point. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is one we can actually like put a pin in as being. (laughs) (laughs) We'll commit to that one. Uh, He says in the segment, in the reflection of the TV screen, he sees one of them nod to the other, like, you do it. And I'm kind of like, no, it's you. And he realizes, oh, they're here for me. You know, you got to be careful what you watch on TV. It seems a bit revelationary. (laughs) Yeah. And just the visual of him seeing this happening in a reflection while he plays video games is, it's incredible. That's such a great, you couldn't write that better, right? (laughs) That's, that's some no country for all men shit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So he realizes there for him, he kind of like jumps up, a scuffle ensues. He gets pinned down, flash of metal. He realizes they have garden shears, and he's pinned down. So Brutus the Baba Beefcake has come to jump him. Has to be. He he <laughs> caused an anthrax scare because he left his cocaine in uh, <laughs> an MTA vestibule. So oh, who God. knows? <laughs> he sees the garden shears just in time to realize that they're heading towards his hand. And he watches as they snip off his thumb with a pair of garden shears. Oh. Yeah. This reflection in the TV doesn't seem like it served him so well after all. <laughs> That's the thing that the uh, America's Most Wanted thing does too. They say like, and this six foot one fighter was unprepared for this fight. Like, <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's two on one. They just cut off his thumb. Of course he is. Right. He's at a disadvantage yes. from his naivety from the <laughs> outset. Yes. 
Yeah, there's no way the story starts out with him winning this. (laughs) So my favorite thing that he says in it, he goes to unlock the door and he can't because he's missing his thumb and he can't get a hold of the lock. (laughs) That's such a, like, it's so good. It's such like a horror movie moment. Right. I can't actually get out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm picturing the knob like slick with blood, right? Like it's, you can't write that. No wonder they were in the the movie making business. That's right? uh, straight off. That's straight off the pages, isn't it? That's incredible. It's so good. I mean, it's awful. It's terrible what happened to him, but it's so good. <laughs> right. Wow. Yeah. Trying to get out. Oh, this is the first half of the story. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Tries to get out. Can't. They hit him with a chair. Appropriate. I was gonna say. I mean, that's part of his job duties at that point. Yeah. He doesn't go down, obviously, because he got hit with a chair. Because it's gimmicked. I'm just kidding. <laughs> right, yeah. The, the fish tank they smashed over his head, however, was not. Oh my god. Yeah. He hits the ground. He realizes, this guy's going after my belt buckle. Oh dear. Yeah. They're looking for more dismemberment? Seems like it. Oh dear. Yeah. And he says, this is really not going to end well for me. This is the other, another hilarious part of this. I shouldn't say hilarious, but it is. In the America's Most Wanted section, he says, I'm not 100% certain they were trying to cut off my penis. No? Because <laughs> I think I am. <laughs> Did he have $1,000 jammed between his thighs that they were looking for? What else are we doing with the garden shears going after your belt buckle? Like, yeah, that seems like a natural conclusion. Yeah. He gets away. They must decide it's too much trouble. They take off. The police show up. They say, hey, where's your thumb? He says, I don't know. Turns out, those guys took it with them. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He provides some police sketches. If you've ever seen the sketches of the leprechaun that pop up around St. Patrick's Day every year, it's that type of police sketch. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Not really useful. Right. One guy is 200 pounds with a short haircut, and the other guy's 225 with a chipped tooth. Not great. (laughs) again we're not saying rob black had anything to do with this there have been no charges brought there's no legal cases brought no convictions no charges no evidence to support that yeah okay we just know he was mad about this guy saying he slept with his wife the police detective interviewed on america's most wanted said the reason you would take a thumb with you is if you were hired to attack someone in some way and you needed proof mm-hmm. that you carried out the attack right it's the toe and the big lebowski yes same right like same idea so seemingly this was somebody doing this on purpose it's to send a message to the messiah again not saying rob black was involved some argue it makes sense that the story naturally leads there nothing legal this is all alleged Rumor and innuendo, we're not taking an official stance that that's what happened. The most amazing part of that story, aside from the dismemberment of the thumb and the uh, the drive south and bailing on that plan at the belt buckle, is that he just kind of let these dudes in, <laughs> invite them to sit down, yeah, and was just chilling out and sort of like... Poltergeist was like, oh shit, there are messages in the TV screen here. <laughs> I gotta pay attention to this. Yeah. And then his, you know, flight or fight response kicked into tack. Yeah, imagine if there wasn't a cutscene right at the right moment. <laughs> 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 
thank goodness there is the fade to black. I'm going to pay attention to that. Yeah. We've mentioned the Max Brooks books before of how to survive the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. And this is why there are fade to blacks in the movies so that you can spot an impending attack. Yeah. That's the main message I want people to walk out with after this episode. (laughs) (laughs) That's fucking bananas. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, there's a he has a benefit show new jack's there like the, the story doesn't end when those guys run away and actually the great thing with that episode too is he takes the bandage off his hand and they blur his thumb so you can't see the scar on it so it must be pretty gnarly wow yeah i assume he never got the thumb back i, I assume yeah as far as i know that thumb is is long gone you know don't cut promos on <laughs> of a marital nature <laughs> yeah if there's a second takeaway tonight. <laughs> <laughs> One, pay attention to the voices in the TV screen. And yeah. two, don't dunk promos on somebody else's wife. Yeah. Partner, significant other, <laughs> right? All of the above. Wow. Yeah. Talk about oblivious. That's amazing. Right? And that's like the XPW story. Yeah. Like of the three, like the invasion, the end, which we're about to get to, people talk about. But the Messiah story is like, the xpw story is this the bit that they're doing on dark side of the ring it has to be part of it i would imagine i would think that all three parts that we're talking about tonight will be on the dark side episode Mm -hmm. just because they are kind of the touchstones of this company right so the dark side of the ring episode is is a look at sort of the notoriety of xpw as a whole yeah all they have listed is that's an x an episode on xpw wow okay yeah Notably, we are ahead of that game of that coming out. So this is going to be a real teaser, a real yeah. thread to take a look at what they do on this subject matter, isn't it? Yeah, that might be like an, an intro to a future show is to compare ours to theirs. Right, right, right. To see what they nail. Wow. Yeah. You mentioned the invasion. So this is this mm-hmm. is getting into the third segment on this, right? Yeah. Okay. We are at the end of the company. Okay. Because we've talked a lot about a bunch of different companies to watch. And SPW is not on that list. And we already mentioned they fold shortly after ECW. So XPW is no longer around officially. Okay. So here's where my Department of Justice search <laughs> factors in. Because that didn't apply to the last segment? <laughs> oh, just wait. <laughs> <laughs> so you may recall from segment one, Rob Black is running a company called Extreme Associates. Mm-hmm. Extreme Adult Films. And like, like really it's a lot yeah (laughs) the main film to talk about and this will give you an idea of i'm not gonna go into you can find the plot summary out there the name of the film is forced entry maybe get a vpn and do that yeah selectively and carefully (laughs) yeah you may end up on a list trying to check our sources (laughs) on this so a, a few things to know about that particular film The three female stars are officially listed as victims one, two, and three. That's their character names, victim one, two, and three. Okay. That's the official character name for those three actresses. They explained that it's loosely based off of Richard Ramirez. If you are not a true crime person, Richard Ramirez is the Night Stalker. Mm Mm-hmm. A serial killer in California, California in the 80s. Right. The Netflix documentary on him is great. The Village Voice said that the film was both shocking and completely banal. 
So they somehow were shocking and boring at the same time. (laughs) PBS was filming a documentary about the pornographic industry in the United States called American Pornography. Mm -hmm. Disappointing. They didn't call it porn in the USA. (laughs) It's a real missed opportunity. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's very punny. Well done. (laughs) Um, They were filming it. They were so disgusted about what was happening, they walked off the set. Wow. Right? So this is what Rob Black is putting out at the same time XPW is running. How tangibly associated was the wrestling to the the film side of things? Do people know they're connected at this point in time? Yeah, in that he's not... So there's an early... Like, before the ECW relationship falls apart, there's an ECW show where one wrestler, don't remember who it was, is wearing an Extreme Associates t-shirt. And... Lizzie Borden has a role in the company. So they're not really hiding that they also make these movies. Okay. So there's not a whole lot of division and separation between the two wings. No, it's not necessarily that they're like... I mean, they may well have been promoting both companies at the same time. Mm -hmm. But it's also not like the secret that it's this connection between the two. Yeah, understood. So like people know, especially with Rob Black, like he's not hiding it. Yeah. Because again, any promotion, right? Yeah. So here's... The absolute best part of this whole thing. So you have your, and here's a wild thing to say about this type of type of film. You have your antagonist, <laughs> right? <laughs> Based on Richard Ramirez. Also known as the killer. Yes. Yeah. And then you have a hard-boiled detective who's trying to stop him, played by Rob Black himself. <laughs> and I promise you this is true. The character played by Rob Black, this detective, is named Detective Roberto Negro. Oh. Oh. Wow. Yeah, that's that's the appropriate response to that. Yeah. Yeah. Goodness. (laughs) All right. Yeah. He's into what he himself sells, isn't he? Oh, 100%. You know. <laughs> he's just, he's a, he's a very gross P.T. Barnum. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the film apparently ends with people recognizing the killer, chasing him into an alley, beating and stabbing him to death, and then Roberto Negro finding the body, kicking the corpse, walking off screen, credits. <laughs> So he doesn't even solve the crime. No, no, he just kicks a corpse. <laughs> like, this is what we're talking about here. You should not kick a person when they're down, you know? <laughs> yeah, the third lesson of the show tonight. <laughs> Don't kick a corpse. <laughs> Don't go boot in bodies, please, yeah. <laughs> we may have also stumbled upon our first t-shirt. Don't kick a corpse. Don't kick a corpse. <laughs> So where does this start to drive to the demise of the wrestling side of things? That's a great question, because it does seem like a wild bird walk <laughs> I just went on, right? Because he's kicking bodies in the ring? I mean... I mean, that might be part of it. So <laughs> this is one of five movies he made that are recognized as being obscene by the government. So this is where my, my third page of notes come in. Do you know how hard it is to prove that something is obscene? By the federal government? There's a, a Supreme Court case called Miller versus California from 1974, I think. And it sets the Miller test. And before that, Hugo Black said, I can't define obscenity. 
I just know it when I see it, which isn't a great measure in legality. Doesn't sound too, too objective, right, does yeah. it? <laughs> so I come up with the Miller test. And this is where we get like real, real poly side, baby. We're going to switch it up a little bit. <laughs> so the Miller test is a three-pronged test. You have to hit all three points on the Miller test for something to be obscene, right? I'm going to read you the official DOJ language of the Miller test. We should note here, if we're not straddling and marching directly into Anomaly's backyard with this. Yeah. <laughs> we, we are squarely <laughs> taking a seat in their theater of absurdity and, and film noir, aren't we here? Yeah. You know? yeah. Point number three is the savior for a lot of things. <laughs> so number one, whether the average person applying contemporary adult community standards finds that the matter taken as a whole appeals to a prurient interest, i.e. an erotic, lascivious, abnormal, unhealthy, degrading, or morbid interest in nudity, sex, or excretion. (laughs) No shitting. Yes. (laughs) Rule five from tonight. (laughs) That's part one of a three-part test. Part two, whether the average person applying contemporary adult community standards finds that the matter depicts or describes sexual conduct in a patently offensive way, i.e. ultimate sexual acts, which is a phrase, actual or simulated masturbation, excretory functions, lewd exhibition of the genitals, or sadomasochistic sexual abuse. We're going to need an R rating on the front yeah. of this episode. So. <laughs> yeah. And part three... Note the and, whether a reasonable person finds that the matter taken as a whole lacks serious literary, artistic, political, or scientific value. This is really broad, isn't it? Right? Like, there are so many things that, like, my my go-to with this is, do you know, God, we're getting, like, deep in the weeds now. Do you know Piss Christ? No. So Piss Christ is a, is a photograph by an artist named Andres Serrano. And it's a series of photos taken through fluids. And Piss Christ is a large-scale photo of a plastic crucifix with a Christ figure on it, submerged in a jar of the artist's own urine. That's really fucked up. Right? And hits probably two of those, right? Right. But because... It's this exploration of imagery through fluid, and it's this kind of amber sepia tone thing. We can find that it has artistic merit, <laughs> right? Like that's why I say like that third one is the key, right? It's not even like a oh Rauschenberg paints white canvases. That's not art type of art discussion. Like you can find artistic, political, literary, or scientific merit in a lot of things. All of that, needless to say, is so subjective. A hundred percent. What you find artistically merited versus the next person are two distinctly different things, right? Yeah, and including contemporary adult community standards. Like, that's a a specific thing. And by saying contemporary, that implies that it changes over time. Right. Right, so it's really hard to fail the Miller test, is what I'm saying. So to that point, the film meets all three of those criteria. Yeah. And not just that one. There are five, five <laughs> that fail the Miller test, according to the fellow government. Wow. Yeah. So I feel like that's a badge of honor. I, I, I do feel like that's a badge of it's honor. It's kind of impressive. <laughs> 
So here's where it becomes a federal crime. Somebody in the Postmaster General's office orders at least one of those films, and Rob Black ships it. Now it's federal, right? Production and distribution of obscene materials. Mm -hmm. He fights the charge for six years. He says, I'm going to be this First Amendment martyr. Larry Flint from The People vs. Larry Flint, Hustler. Hustler fight, yeah, yeah, right. Has a falling out with Rob Black over this. (laughs) Like... (laughs) This is one of those stories where every aspect we add seems like we're making things up. It's like like a mad lib of bat shit. Right, right. right. Fights it for six years. During that time, he's selling those five movies as a package deal. So he's facing trial for distribution of obscene materials, and he's still distributing the obscene materials. But fear not, you can get them as a packaged anthology. As... (laughs) As the Federal Five. He gives it a goofy name. He calls it the Federal Five. I think this guy is great for a gimmick. You can see why he was in the wrestling business. Right? And again, all publicity is good publicity. Like, I'm on Federal (laughs) Trial. Five for 20. Come to my site. (laughs) After six years, he and his wife give up on it. They take a plea deal. Over the course of that, he has to sell off the library, sell off the company. Rob Black is no longer controlling xpw okay in keeping with the theme of this whole fucking thing they're sentenced to one year and one day rob black shows up supposed to be in a minimum security facility rob black shows up to the wrong building (laughs) (laughs) he shows up to the main facility oh dear the rob black story is he was misrepresented as a sex offender because of his charges. The prison story is they didn't have room for him anywhere else. So he spends a full month in solitary confinement, which he doesn't need to do per his punishment. Because he's in the wrong building. Right. It just <laughs> doesn't end. We didn't learn a great deal of lessons from the hard cam rule, did we? No. I mean, I think it all really stems from that first story. <laughs> right? Pay attention to where they tell you to go. (laughs) (laughs) He spends his month in solitary. He spends his year in prison. He gets out. 2012, he buys back the rights to XPW. He says, 2013 is our year. It's 2021. Still no XPW. Still no XPW. Doesn't follow through. However, in 2013, he launches a career as a fairly successful podcaster recognized as one of the preeminent whistleblowers on the dirty details of the adult film industry wow so we as a pro wrestling podcast start this wild story of pro wrestling and end it with a podcast that was a hell of a journey (laughs) i do feel suitably walloped because there were some astounding turns to that story it's a lot (laughs) <laughs> it, is, it, it, it is a lot i'll be i'll be processing these elements you sir took a hell of a dive there <laughs> what a journey let's stick with our interstate gimmick what a journey through this xpw promotion started in i'm going to use my word and then certainly not casting any aspersions but from seemingly again sordid beginnings oh yeah to lots of ruckus both in ring and out with some very comedic if that's even the right word, some very yeah. unusual lefts and right turns throughout. I do have to give XPW their due. 
give Rob Black his due for the blunders. They still seem to have found their way. Yeah. And 20 years after their heyday, we're recording a full-ass podcast about it. Yeah. <laughs> that was astounding. <laughs> I, I will be processing that for some time. Yeah. Well done. Thank well you. done. Thank you. And thanks for coming on that wild ride with me. I do feel like I climbed in sort of the passenger seat of a runaway convertible <laughs> and just was like, you know, yeah. swatting astounding facts off. Yeah amazing and top down is appropriate for rob black's secondary career (laughs) (laughs) brilliant that's a very different episode for us isn't it and you are a historian and a history buff aren't you i hope if you're listening to this you enjoyed that right because i i have to say truly and genuinely no works here this was all shoot i did go into this completely blind i got a couple sort of teaser tidbits and couple sort of markers from you didn't i josh to how to sort of think about going into the conversation but i heard all this fresh for the first time in real time so yeah and i was i was a little bit nervous because some of that stuff is like so notorious i was like oh he might know one of these things so i'm like very thankful that we stumbled into something that was all fresh not a thing yeah uh, not (laughs) a thing no idea about xpw where are some of the talent these days? What happened to sort of some of their big names? Where did they end up going? So as far as I know, Messiah is done. I think Supreme might have died. And the rest of them that weren't that weren't former ECW talent just kind of didn't really go super, super far. Sort of petered out or just the careers came to natural ends. Yeah. Like Homeless Jimmy didn't do a huge amount of business after XPW. Right. So uh, Supreme, who was one of their big names, died in May of last year. Oh, wow. Yeah. So some of the homegrown talent didn't uh, really blow up, unfortunately. Right. Being such a specialty wrestling organization. Yeah. Yeah. And there could be nostalgia runs. Who knows? With this kind of rebirth of Deathmatch, who knows who might pop up again in the near future. Yeah, sure, right? You imagine some of the talent is a little bit older at this point. Not that that is stopping anyone, right? Right. They would be a a little bit older in their careers if some of them resurfaced whoever they were, right? Yeah. We will be redoing the wallop again. (laughs) And we'll have to send you some sort of lifeline or raft so we don't lose (laughs) you completely next time. Uh, I had visions of you sort of being in that you know, the opening scene of the Ghostbusters where the ghosts are just kind of throwing books around yeah. and just launching books. I was like, I think he's <laughs> down by the Dewey Decimal System, Isle three. <laughs> yeah. That was tremendous fun. Again, I uh, I hope if you've listened to this, uh, you enjoyed that wild ride that was uh, yeah. wrestling adjunct <laughs> and adult industry direct in places, <laughs> slasher gore horror films as well. Yeah. Thought this would be a fun one to start this whole type of idea off with. Big time. Just giving a nice little brush and a nod to our siblings, the Anomaly uh, Film Podcast, out when the Anomaly presents film podcasts. So that said, I think we've done enough shockers and enough statements of <laughs> blowing people's minds for one uh, episode. Yeah. We should also give a shout out to our other family members, siblings here on the Lunchadale Podcast Network. We've got the Beer Review Journal. They just celebrated their first anniversary and it was a uh, it was a super fun, yet equally trippy episode. So Yeah, and I've been singing Crazy Bruce's Liquor for the last two weeks. So <laughs> thanks, guys. Right. Um We've got Mimosas with my besties. We've got Caleb versus Self and the Mind of Magnus. Network really shaping up and we're super, super proud to be part of that. That said, want to give a shout out to our socials and the theme, Josh? So you can find us online at ISWrestlePod, Instagram and Twitter. And thanks as always to Alien Trilogy for use of our theme song, Michinoku Driver. 
such a great song. So excited we found it. So thank you to that tremendous song. Thanks as always for giving us a listen, folks. Hope you enjoyed this episode again. That was The Wallop. More to come. Take it easy, folks. See you later. I'm Mitchin' No Coon. Driver! <laughs>